without the proper safety standards and procedures, it is very likely that the person that is handling the waste gets toxic germs. The plastics that is burned is containing flame retardant substances, and those are the ones that are very toxic for the human being, but also for the environment. Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for doers, making our digital world greener, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Gael Duez, and I invite you to meet a wide range of guests working in the tech industry to help you better understand and make sense of its sustainability issues and find inspiration to positively impact the digital world. If you like the podcast, please rate it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform to spread the word to more responsible technologists like you. And now... Enjoy the show. In this episode, we go to Germany to meet Vanessa Forti and to Rwanda to meet Jacqueline Mukarukundo to talk about electronic waste or e-waste. You know, when someone tries to run a proper life cycle assessment of a digital service or an IT equipment, e-waste is often narrowed down to, yeah, we know it's bad, but we don't have any data to quantify it. Well, there is actually a big source of information at least on the quantitative side, which is a global e-waste monitor published by both the United Nations University, UNU, and United Nations Institute for Training and Research, UNITAR. And Vanessa, the Associate Program Officer at UNITAR, is the lead author of the 2020 edition. She is also a true European globetrotter, an Italian who graduated as an environmental engineer in Italy, did research works in Norway and in the Netherlands on circular economics metrics, especially on metals. In a nutshell, could we dream of a better expert to be with us? Well, we could dream of having someone bringing also experience on the EOS circular economy, having her hands full of its potential as well as challenges. And this is why I'm delighted to have Jacqueline to bring a unique perspective on e-waste. Jacqueline is a Kigalian entrepreneur who co-founded WasteZone almost four years ago. Her work has earned her many awards and a wide recognition as an inspiring African woman leader. Currently, she is also working on the Africa Smart Cities Investment Summit, which will be held in Kigali from the 6th to 8th of September this year. To be honest, she is also the kind of person whose entrepreneurship helps me remember that many of us in the so-called global north take things for granted and complain about issues that will be a joke elsewhere. Not having received or delivery in 24 hours, finding hard to recruit talents. Well, when I first discussed with Jacqueline about the best time to record our session, she told me that morning is better because there is less power outage in Kigali at that time, hence a better internet connection. And still, her company is thriving. Food for thought. Welcome, Jacqueline and Vanessa. Thanks a lot for joining Greenio today. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I'd like to start with the usual question I ask to my guest, which is, how did you become interested in sustainability, e-waste in specific, but sustainability in general? Jacqueline, did you experience some kind of light bubble moment, for instance? Well, that's a very good question. So I remember very well that I became interested in sustainability when I realized the harmful impact of electronic waste on environment and people's health. 
this was actually in 2018 when back then after high school basically I was after high school and starting university and I started to realize these specific issues of how we deal with electronic devices we have in our house specifically in my country but also in developing countries like uh, Africa so this literally worked me out to start to think about how I can bring up solution to the table um, and specifically green technology industry, because that's one of the things which are missing in African countries. So I saw an opportunity to create a sustainable solution to this problem. And also I wanted to focus on reducing um, and creating environmental impact of electronic waste. In that moment, while I can also create economic opportunity for communities, basically creating a win-win solution to both those who have uh, electronic waste, but those one who correct it, which are uh, recycling industries. So I never really experienced uh, a light bulb moment, but rather a gradual awareness of the importance of sustainability in our business practices but also it's a positive impact on society and the planet. So I would say that this awareness has really food, kind of feeded me my passion for creating innovative solutions, but also sustainable activities to the environmental challenge. So at the moment, I feel like I'm very inspired uh, to continue to create positive impact that can work and have a larger impact to the whole world. Yeah, that's interesting because it's really about focusing on the impact and, and not focusing too much on the problem, which is obviously something that we will discuss about the e-waste. And what about you, Vanessa? How did you become the environmental engineer that you are today and uh, working so much on the e-waste uh, area, I would say? Yeah, thank you, Gal, for the question. And this enables me to look back uh, when I was a child. And um, I remember that at elementary school, I had a teacher that was teaching us how to fold uh, plastic uh, shopping bags and uh, in a proper way so that you can store it in your drawer and reuse it uh, when you need it instead of throwing them away. And I remember that um, lesson, let's say that way, in a very clear way. Um, I have it in front of my eyes, and uh, that was uh, very inspiring for me when I was uh, when I was a child. And since then, uh, I started indeed uh, folding shopping bags and uh, keeping them just uh, for reusing instead of buying or, or getting new ones. So I would say that is a light bubble moment I had in my life. And since then, I've always been uh, sensitive to environmental issues. And uh, also my parents remember I was uh, getting mad at people when in the 90s when I saw them throwing things on the street. And back then it was pretty common. And, and then, uh, yeah, so I guess since then I really hated uh, uh, the waste problem, and I, I, I wanted to do something to improve um, also the sustainability in general. At least um, I, I tried to do uh, simple actions so that I could improve at least uh, a little bit from my side, uh, the little world I was living in. Since then, then I always had that interest, and uh, yeah, and I continued my path by 
studying environmental engineering and uh, then the driver was ready to try to find solutions indeed to the problems uh, and uh, I've also been very much interested in uh, in developing solutions because we know there's many problems out there but we need to find solutions to leave a better world for the future gen generations as well. Excellent. So, Vanessa, I read not entirely, but a good chunk of the global e-waste monitor because I wanted to get some sense of proportion. So, in the global e-waste monitor 2020, it is assessed that 53.6 million metric tons of e-waste was generated worldwide. And I was curious to see how I could compare, so I calculated the weight of an Olympic swimming pool, and I got that actually this amount is 21,440 Olympic swimming pools. And you know what? I couldn't yet truly picture what 21,440 Olympic swimming pool meant. So I converted them in square kilometer, which is 26.8 square kilometers, and it is roughly a quarter of the area of Paris, okay? Uh, not exactly, but roughly. So, if we want to store all the e-waste generated in the last four years worldwide, we will need to erase Paris and replace it by swimming pools in four years. So, providing that the density of electronic equipment is close to the density of water, which is not the case, so we might save some presence. Lucky us. These data, well, they, they were just super impressive. And I wanted to ask you, where do they come from and how are they crunched? How do you build such a database? Yeah, thanks for the question and thanks for making the comparison. Indeed, it's a lot of data and um, we do actually compile uh, worldwide data on what well, we, we start from analyzing production and trade statistics at worldwide level. And we do this exercise for all countries in the world that are UN member states. So basically we analyze the sales of electric and electronic products every year. And then uh, we also analyze then imports, exports and the domestic production. And these are data that are available actually open the open to the open public as well because they are published in the UN Comtrade database. So what we did is to really have a list of all products that are that can be classified as electric and electronic product and we compile all this information at global level and we make a simple calculation that uh, it, it seems simple, but then when you run this model for all countries in the world, sorry, then this will, of course, increase the complexity. But the simple calculation that we do is uh, imports minus exports plus domestic production. So basically, we account for whatever is sold in the country as such. So whatever comes in minus whatever goes out plus whatever is produced domestically in terms of electric and electronic products. So that's the simple idea, uh, let's say, and then we link it uh, to the lifetime of the products. 
So we made over the years assessments on what is the average lifetime of this or that electronic product. And by linking these average lifetimes to the sales, uh, we would know when this product will become waste. So at the very end, we have a database uh, that goes from 9080 up to the current year, but then we are able to make estimates also over time and we have made estimates up to 2050. So that's a bit how we come to those data and, and hopefully this provides a bit more insights also. Oh, it does, definitely, definitely. And how accurate should we think about this uh, 53.6 million? Is it like plus or minus 5% or plus or minus uh, 50%? Well, that's a good question. Actually, we have tried to assess this uh, over the years. And all in all, we can say that we feel confident with the data that we provide and that we calculate because they are based on real data that are actually reported by countries. So the production and trade statistics are official data uh, from countries. Uh, of course, there is a, a certain level of uncertainty when it comes also to domestic production because domestic production, it's an indicator that is not easily or readily available at international level. And many countries may not disclose that information or may not be available. So um, in that sense, uh, indeed, there is a certain level of uncertainty. However, the model compensates for potential lack of information at domestic production uh, level, let's say. So we run many statistical corrections when we run the model to make sure to really limit the level of uncertainty at the very end. We guess uh, and estimated that the level of uncertainty is indeed around 5 to maximum 10%, uh, but it would not be more than that in my view. Plus or minus 5%, so that, that gives a good idea of what kind of number we should share with the, the general public. And you mentioned trains, geographically speaking, but also maybe by time of equipment. What are the, the trends that you've noticed recently? When we look at the categories of e-waste, uh, the trends that we have observed is that, uh, of course, temperature exchange equipment are growing at high speed. So there has been an increase of 7% compared to 2014, for example, and that's the highest grow rate among the six uh, European categories. There is a very big growth on consumption on uh, air conditioners, for example, in uh, the global south that we have noticed in the past years. And therefore, this is definitely impacting the, um, yeah, the future e-waste generation, for sure. When it comes to screens and monitors, for example, the consumption in terms of number of units is increasing and has increased a lot during COVID as well, especially because of the, we guess it's because of the increased um, yeah, usage of those appliances at home from smart work, uh, and, and therefore, we have seen an increase in that sense. However, at the same time, those screens and monitors are becoming lighter and lighter over the years. If we imagine that 
we transition from the old CRTs to the new uh, technologies and screens that are now very flat and very light, they became much lighter. So in terms of weight, the screens and monitors is the category that is decreasing over time, but of course they are increasing in terms of number of units. Uh, just to answer your question on the regional aspect and regional differences, yeah, we notice a rapid increase in e-waste generation in the global south, especially Africa is uh, contributing to, so far has been contributing to the e-waste mountain with a lower speed compared to higher income countries, but, uh, but African countries are now uh, also showing a very rapid increase uh, in the past years. And um, so that's a trend that maybe makes sense to highlight, as well as the one that, um, as well as the Asian situation, that of course, being Asia, a continent uh, that is very populous with uh, many uh, billion people, of course, is the continent that is contributing the most to the global e-waste uh, uh, generation. And there is one figure actually that struck me is that we've got this big increase uh, in e-waste, sometimes in weight, sometimes in quantities, and sometimes in both, if I understood you well, especially regarding IT equipment. And then there is this recycling issue. Uh, I remember this number that less than 18% of global e-waste is uh, recycled. C can you tell us a bit more about it? No, thanks. Um, that's, uh, I think, very relevant point to highlight. So um, the trend uh, that I would like to highlight is that we have noticed that the global e-waste uh, recycled are, is growing at lesser of a speed compared to the increase of uh, or the speed um, at which the global e-waste generation is, is instead growing. So the global e-waste generation is growing a much higher speed compared to the e-waste recycling figure. And that is for several reasons. The first and very important one is that the while the global e-waste generation is modeled, it's our data that are modeled with the model I just explained, um, the e-waste uh, formally recycled is actually um, coming from data that we collect and gather directly from countries. So these are data that are reported by governments around the, the world. So the figure reflects what is currently available at national governments. And it is also true that many governments, especially in the global south, don't have this figure. So don't gather the figure and therefore we do not receive uh, information on the amount of e-waste formally collected. The reasons could be many. Uh, the main one is that if there is no legislation in place, there is no formal obligation for governments to report on the e-waste uh, formally collected. And there is definitely also not a system in place to monitor the recycling facilities or to survey the recycling facilities. The second reason is also that, of course, the countries that don't have a legislation would hardly have a well-working uh, e-waste management system. 
because not having any uh, obligation, uh, no business is willing to establish in, in a country. So it's a sort of a loop with um, no legislations. It is easier, or, or let's say it is more difficult for the US recycling to establish and other way around, if no US recycling is happening, it's harder for the governments to regulate uh, the subject. For countries with a legislation instead, um, the recycling rates are still low, nevertheless. <laughs> so um, if we look at Europe uh, as well, where there is a WE directive for many years and the US recycling is very well regulated, uh, but still, most of the countries are far from reaching the targets, uh, the collection targets. And taking a concrete example, Jacqueline, could you um, tell us a bit more on the situation in, in Rwanda when it comes to uh, legal requirements, uh, recycling rate, etc.? Is it something that uh, you can talk about? Yeah, so responding to that, I, I would say that I don't have like accurate data to support it, but according to the observations and um, the experience I had, one of the main areas of similarity challenge developing countries are facing, it's correction, as Vanessa said, um, the correction process and uh, the capacity of recycling, uh, the issue of investment, but also automation about awareness, the effect of electronic waste. We may think that normal people or public doesn't have enough awareness of electronic waste, but one thing which was being able to visualize is that you find that majority of people have electronic devices in their house where they have this specific particular small room in the corner of the house where they drop out maybe TV, which no longer work, maybe DVD, maybe phones, or like this particular mouse or this small electronic devices which are no longer being used. They keep it in their houses. For what? So first of all, they believe that this electronic devices is, has a, a value into it. So they're expecting at least to get a low-cost amount of money. Let's say maybe five uh, US dollars according to the value of it, maybe 10 US dollars, particularly depending to how this holder of electronic devices feel like his electronic devices has a value. But one thing which happened back and forth between all the stakeholders involved in electronic waste management industry here in developing country per se is that you find that some of recycling industries are not willing to compensate the cost value this electronic device uh, may still have. And also, those ones who still have it in their houses, they refuse to give it back. And where to some point they feel like, okay, instead of giving it back, I will just send it to the landfill. So by sending it to the landfill or at the downside, that this increases the impact to the, the climate and environment. So there is back and forth challenge and understanding the law each uh, individual or stakeholder must bring on the table. And that's why we find so many electronic devices on the dump site, on landfill, uh, everywhere. And you find recycling 
actors saying that they are not capable of finding enough tons of electronics they may probably need per se for recycling just because there is misunderstanding the value law this electronic waste has and this bring us so much understanding why the recycling rate is still very low in developing countries I really, if i could remember probably still below to 20% So basically that's the situation how the situation is and uh, I would support what Vanessa was saying uh, this is a very huge uh, challenge um, mainly when it comes to de- developing countries even though currently there's cross boundaries prohibition for um, electronic um, second hand electronic devices but still it's happen illegally on the black market so that's some that I think it's a bit chaos but I say illegal trade or uh, black market for electronic devices uh, because some countries has already uh, stated cross boundaries um, prohibition for ele- electronic devices, but still for some reason it tend to be happening in one way or the other. So that's also increase a huge challenge to how to deal with electronic devices. Yeah. And I've got a question for both of you, and this is a very Basic question, how bad is e-waste? Obviously, wasting things is not very good, but why do we focus that much on e-waste? And I've heard a lot of stuff about pollution, blah, 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 etc. But I'd like to get your insights for both of you, both experts regarding e-waste. Yeah, so e-waste is actually, well, bad in my view when it is not disposed in a proper way. So as Jacqueline also mentioned, uh, there are many illegal practices when it comes also to recycling and many backyard recycling is happening in many countries in the world. And when this happens without the proper safety um, standards and procedures, Uh, it is very likely that the person that is handling the waste uh, gets um, intoxicated or inhale um, toxic fumes uh, by burning uh, cables or plastics. The plastics that is usually uh, burned um, is containing flame retardant substances and those are the ones that are very toxic for the human being but also for the environment in general. And um, uh, yeah, from what we have seen, this is a very easy way to get rid of the plastic and uh, get to the, re- let's say, the available parts. So for cables, for example, the cables, the plastic uh, casing is, is incinerated and then in order to extract the copper. And this is where yeah, e-waste becomes bad and toxic and polluting. And in the landfills where these illegal practices are happening, we have seen or collaborated with WHO in the past monitors and we found out that there is larger impacts that we could not think of uh, before. So even kids are affected or pregnant uh, women are also affected by the toxic substances that are released uh, on the environment. Uh, by bad uh, waste management practices. And Jacqueline, is it something that you've uh, witnessed or that you can uh, tell us a bit more about this 
non-proper waste disposal. There is a famous place which is now now closed in Ghana, which is Agbogoshi, that used to be kind of a nightmare when it comes to uh, manage waste, electronic waste. But, you know, it's just one example. And I've always wondered if, if, if it was something that you could find elsewhere or if it was hopefully for uh, Africa just a, a single example of bad waste management. So the reason why e-waste is a very big issue, we tend to forget the reality of the world we are living at the moment. So we are living in the world where technology is the future. Technology is the future. Everything is being turned into digital transformation, is being turned to using ICT tools and all of that. But do we tend to think the life cycle of these ICT tools we are using in our everyday life? We cannot really forget that we have specific uh, iPhone brands which are already on market each and every year or every two years. Um, maybe I would say maybe iPhone 14, iPhone 13, iPhone, you know, there is always new version at the market. And as a human beings and as a customers, we are always ready. We are always ready to consume this electronic devices, new product, new brand at the market. But the reason why we need to emphasize on electronic waste effect and how we can deal with it, it's by this reality of always higher consumption rate in all over the world of electronic devices and always new technologies which are coming on the table. That's why we need to stress out a lot on electronic devices until we understand the life cycle system or circular economy of how new consumption rate of all the branding new uh, devices and all of that can be able to be treated. And that's where manufacturers need to come in. And I liked uh, Vanessa's research paper, how it was mentioning the life cycle spam of electronic devices by mentioning when this could turn out to be uh, e-waste. So by having all these supportive information and all the stakeholders on board, we can be able to deal with it. And um, I'd like to really um, maybe to a little bit mention about um, the minerals we find in electronic waste. Electronic devices have like uh, gold, silver, copper, and other variable materials into it. But most of these come from traditional mining and we all know the effect of traditional mining. So with having urban mining in place, we'll be able to extract this gold and silver and create recycling process to be reused once again, instead of finding them on the dump site or at the landfill. So, this is all the involvement of why we need to really deal with electronic devices, yeah. And that comes at the perfect point in, in this discussion because what you're saying is actually because of this hyper-consumption worldwide that we've got more and more e-waste and actually e-waste is a good proxy for this hyper-consumption of electronic equipments, we should pay attention to this um, indicator and still, it has become, and it has become more and more a business to manage with this e-waste, what you call urban mining. And I believe this is actually what you've done, creating a, a business uh, around circular economy and the waste zone enterprise that you've created. So I would love to know a bit more about 
how you manage. Can you basically pitch us what WasteZone does? WasteZone, it's a still a startup, I might say. So basically what's WasteZone app, it's like connecting up between consumers or household manufacturers and recyclers who are looking for these elect uh, second-hand electronic devices or electronic waste. Uh, where this app is being able to help uh, with efficient tech-empowered traceability services, where it's helping them to generate value, waste value addition benefits to their electronic waste in environmental-friendly way. As I said already before, it's like a win-win situation where these manufacturers and cyclists need to understand that these people could get a value into their devices they still have in their houses. Could be a little one. It depends on the negotiation between two parties who want to, to exchange these electronic devices. And then um, I would say that for now, we have more than 2,000 users who were able to, to trust us and translate over 400 tons of electronic waste on our platform. And this really blown our mind to... And it's sort of like a shoulders that we are actually not even closer to where we are desired to be because we always meet people are saying, oh, I have these, actually have these laptops, I have phones at home, I don't have any clue where to send it, but I also at the end of the day, I know that it still have a value. The only issue maybe my smartphone have, it's the screen, and I know I can repair it, but I don't have time for it. So for us, we create a channel value between two parties on a Western app to be able to sell between each other. For, so for the long land vision we have is to create a future of urban mining in electronic waste because we realize that's where we are heading and this is the future and we have to believe it and um, see how we are heading. So talking about urban mining and how it's the long land vision for us is that we have seen how manufacturers are waking up to be part of this journey. I have seen amazing work, Dell and some other, like uh, even Samsung. Samsung is collecting like batteries. Uh, I think it has started or it's part of the plan to start next year to start to collect batteries in uh, East African countries, but also in some part of Africa because there is insufficient of our batteries miners to produce new ones. So they want to tap in into creating those ones they already sent to the market and be able to process it once again, but also in a way of creating sustainability and environmental impact, which is the same thing Dell is doing, I think, in South America when I was reading the article in South America and some part of India, I guess. So this is amazing and shows how manufacturers are putting those producer responsibility in their hands. So that's where we want to head to be able to help these manufacturers to trace and know where there is a materials or e-waste where they can trace it and channel it to their recycling site where it's being based. So that's what we are doing at the moment and we are excited towards the future is holding for us. Yeah. So 400 tons is already a very significant achievement. So congratulations. My question would be just to understand well the, the word urban mining. 
these manufacturers and these recyclers, do they kind of extract the metals by, you know, melting a, a chipboard, et cetera, et cetera? Or do they also manage to extract some spare parts that they will reuse in, in new equipments on the market? So is it recycling or is it just extraction of new resources? Okay, so explaining what exactly will be urban mining, how it's work. This kind of the time which is sort of like a processing, recovering variable materials and other materials from discarded electronic devices, and even those which are as in urban waste. So it's a form of recycling that involves extracting and refining variable resources from waste stream that were previously considered to be of a little or no value. So I gave an example like a Samsung. So I have we have learned that they are going to start for them collecting batteries. This is part of urban mining because when you find batteries, it have a variable materials inside of it. But now getting access to it, because as we know that to get uh, these variable materials, normally it goes through the traditional mining. So getting access to these materials, it's tending to be very hard since mate these materials are re non-renewable, right? So how companies are tapping into it, they're extracting those miners they need. Probably they need maybe gold, they need copper, they need aluminium, or they need batteries according to what they want to use with it. Uh, battery could be used even to create electricity. There is an amazing innovation happening with regards to how batteries are turning into electricity, like in India and some part of the world. And the extraction which happened, it's in a way of creating, like creating the value of it and being reused once again in form of circular uh, processing, circular economy processing, yeah. Yeah, it makes total sense. Is this extraction being done in, I would say, good working conditions? Because you, both of you, you mentioned how toxic and dangerous can be waste and especially e-waste management previously. So these urban mining activities, you mentioned also that they're mostly done in the informal sector. Are workers or freelancers working in urban mining getting more and more protected or is it still a bit a wide wide west i would say i would like to clarify that uh for waste zone you are not recycling industry sort of so we have this is just a service we do to support recycling household and manufacturers in form of traceability and separation of these electronic waste but responding to that question according to observation Many countries are setting up policies which need to protect environment, but also people's health. Here in Rwanda, the informal recycling doesn't no longer work because there is very strict, very strict policies for it uh, in form of protecting people. So I don't know how in other countries it's happening or But I know that for sure, based on the experience I had in Geneva last year, last year when we were looking at the position of e-waste uh, treatment in developing countries, many countries are setting up policies which need to prohibit and um, protect their people in terms of 
involving themselves in illegal uh, recycling or destruction of electronic devices. So I would guess that it's getting much better because of the involvement of both sectors, either on government side, but also on the private side, which are like entrepreneurs and yeah. Yeah, thanks a lot. And Vanessa, is it something that you've noticed also at a, a, a broader scale? Jacqueline mentioned uh, the work done in Geneva, for instance. Things are getting better when it comes to urban mining. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, um, I see a lot of improvements um, yeah, at global level, for sure. So at least in, in Europe, there's a nice... Uh, yeah, um, nice and big networks of experts continuously working on improving the accessibility of CRMs, uh, so critical raw materials, through recycling and um, by mining indeed uh, the waste that is already there. But across the globe, I've seen very nice examples and uh, startups and businesses establishing now in order to uh, improve definitely the recoverability and recyclability of waste. So I'm optimistic about that. There's still a, a, a big and long <laughs> uh, path to get to the zero waste target or to the fully circular economy, to full circular economy. Uh, but still, I'm positive about it since I'm seeing very nice examples across the, the globe. And actually, could you elaborate a bit about the potential of switching to a, a more circular economy? Because we, we talk a lot about circular economy, but I'm not always sure that everyone has the same definition of it, and especially how much it will help reaching the, uh, uh, the ODD, and not only the environmental impact that Jacqueline mentioned already several times, and how big uh, traditional mining has um, a toll on the planet, but or the ODD? Well, definitely, well, there are mm, good benefits of uh, adopting circular economy uh, approaches in, in the business sector. And uh, the way how circular economy is mm, most commonly referred to is, um, let's say, the recycling part, right? So really recycling what is already waste and trying to get back the resources into the production uh, chain. However, circular economy is much more than that. And it starts indeed with uh, sustainable mining. And in, if we talk of mining of new raw materials, ideally is already not a circular economy in a way, because we are, that means that we need extra resources to produce new products that we are not able to get back from the recycling at the end of life. So indeed it starts from, from the mining or the sourcing of the materials, and then it goes through the production phase and the usage phase. Um, also, the eco-design is a very important aspect of circular economy that, in my view, it has been explored um, very rarely, I would say, when it comes to electronics so far. So the challenges of recyclers um, are still the same of uh, 10 or 15 years ago, let's say. So it hasn't become easier to recycle electronics, but it has become rather 
difficult, more difficult nowadays because of the products has become lighter, more compact. Uh, there's no more possibility to replace um, parts of a mobile phone or a laptop. So I believe that when we talk of circular economy, we need to touch upon all, all aspects of circular economy, not only recycling. And eco-design has a very important role. And in addition, uh, what Jacqueline was mentioning, the production has also a very big role. So also not really decreasing production levels, but rather uh, sustainable consumption of products is, is needed, uh, in my view, to contribute to circular economy. And so, Jacqueline, don't kill me on site because it might mean the end of uh, your business. But if we really wanted to achieve a true circular economy, would it mean to have an obligation for everyone manufacturing something to get it back at some point? You know, you, you manufacture a smartphone, you have to recover it. Not your neighbor, not in, a, in another country, etc. But basically, if I buy a smartphone, even if I want to get rid of it, either because it doesn't work or I want to change, I can go back to a shop or any shop actually and say, boom, this is a Samsung smartphone. Please put it in a box that should be shipped back to Samsung. I know it's a radical proposition, but I would love both of you to comment on it because that will enable a more radical shift toward eco-design. So what do you think about it? Is it me just being crazy? So let me go fast. So responding to that question, actually, it has, yes, it has a positive, negative side. But I'm looking for positive side. So first of all, the second-hand market for digital equipment can really provide more opportunities. For us, refurbishment, and repair, repairing of electronics. This has a very core part of um, our own business at Westerzone. So that means that there could be an increase in demand of our services actually, because people would come back either to send, to be like, okay, have these devices. So I'd sell it to manufacturers or send it to manufacturers, or I actually need to refurbish it and repair it on my own and reuse it once again. And also, secondly, I would say, as many people choose to repair or refurbish their electronic devices, instead of buying new one, there is also a chance that we could be able to enhance and be able to see environmental impact, impact as I, I was always mentioning, because of also this new regulation you are saying, which can come in place about repairability of taking back these electronics to the uh, producers and manufacturers because this is part of the extended uh, producer responsibilities and that's the only way we are seeing uh, the impact could be created and hmm, for the negative side I would say maybe potentially this would decrease demand for on electronic devices and for that, it could affect the sales of a new electronic product. And in turn, it could also end up impacting the volume of e-waste generated, but also the services we're being able to offer since people are sending, sending it back, but also um, maybe no longer need this uh, repairing and refurbishment at the same point. Uh, but the main important here 
it's it's good to always understand that the world is evolving and this is not about making money the thing here it's not about making money from western zone we are aiming for the social uh, impact and creating share value benefits among all stakeholders but most importantly to the world so that's what we are aiming for so we always try to stay up to date uh, especially with coming with the technology needed at the market and how to make it easier to both involved people either to those household and even to those recycling or manufacturers so that's how we stay positive into it and what about you venice <laughs> what do you think about my crazy id <laughs> yeah well thinking more of a global level this is something we have been discussing also in the context of epr you no know, extended producer responsibility multiple times and this was maybe even the the original idea when this extended producer responsibility concept was designed however looking at the global dynamics and dimensions of the industry electric electronic industry it does not be very easy to set up this system because as you can imagine uh, there are few producers uh, larger producers in the world that are responsible for the majority of the production of electronics nowadays um, but most likely they don't have one representative country in each uh, of the countries in the world so this would mean also cross country shipments and uh, when it comes to cross country shipments that is also narrows down to cross country let's say legislations and agreements uh, on on this so that is a bit of the reason in my view why it has been very hard to set up such a system ideally it would be a nice solution for sure so i agree with that in practice there might be challenges in doing that uh, but nevertheless yeah the epr concept somehow embeds uh, this responsibility of producers because yeah there is a obligation for taking back products but nowadays at least in europe uh, those products that are taken back and uh, and sent to recycling are just a mix of different brands they're not brand specific there are some examples though in the northern of europe where uh, brands have established their own recycling systems for only their own um, branded products and have developed technologies on how to optimize recycling for their products and that may be a good example and uh, it could be uh, in the near future that there will, we will see more than these examples Oh, and actually, Vanessa, that led me to the final question to both of you. Could you share with us some resource about these initiatives? And, and more generally, what you advise us to read or to listen to understand a bit more the e-waste problem, but also some of the solutions that we are trying to put in place worldwide to solve it? Yeah, sure. So... Well, in general, when it comes to, to UNITAR, um, definitely you can consult the UNITAR website where you will have access to all projects we are working at and to the results of most major projects. Then I think there you would have a very nice uh, overview of 
yeah, what is the current e-waste uh, um, situation at global level. Furthermore, we will, by the end of the year, publish a new version of the Global E-Waste Monitor. It will be a 2023 20, uh, edition uh, with an update of the data and with additional information, especially on recyclability. There's also a website that I mentioned before, that is the global eways.org that has been developed in partnership with uh, the International Telecommunication Union and ISBAM. And uh, since we are uh, partnering in a global e-waste statistic partnership, recently also UNEP, the um, United Nations Environmental Programme, and the Carmignac Foundation joined forces with us to develop the new Global E-Waste Monitor. So maybe that website will also provide um, updates uh, with regards to data. And um, additional sources for those initiatives, um, well, I guess um, they're very dynamic and uh, there are many updates every day. Uh, and we actually are not at the moment compiling all those updates. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I suggest uh, maybe to follow main brands um, and the pages of, of main electric electronic uh, brands worldwide and uh, their sustainability area and um, there it will be uh, every now and then yeah, available information on uh, recyclability and the efforts that the producers do in terms of um, improving recyclability. And Jacqueline, do you have some materials as well, documents, websites? Yeah, okay. So for me, um, as an entrepreneur, I just, I would share, obviously, our website, Voices on website. Um, it really shows more about our work. Uh, but uh, the moment you are revamping it, re-editing it to make it more professional, but it has everything and more information about our work and the links to, to our apps. It really shows about what you're doing and the, the impact you're creating. Additionally, I would also um, maybe share the resources about uh, this amazing article I was reading about urban mining um, it has the title called Urban Mining, the Relevance of Information, Transaction Costs, and Externalities. I found it on the Science Dialect website. It's a very wrong one, but the, the thing I liked about it, it really shows the data because they corrected data among um, 2,500 Swiss respondents and they even did experience with 15,000 employees of Swiss institutions where they were trying to understand and estimate the reason why people do not particularly value their retired funds and how many of them are not willing to give it away just like that. So it really shows the, the key output about urban mining and the future out of it. There is also this amazing article which could be sort of like an example of how many big manufacturers are very keen to come in this journey of being responsible about the resources they're sending to the market and how they are involving in sustainability perspective. Uh, like there is this also amazing article written by Apple. I hope I'm not doing advertise for them. 
in this podcast. But it's a really amazing one. It really shows how urban mining is the future. Uh, the APO was saying how they will use 100% recyclable, uh, recyclable cobalt in materials by 2025. And this is the approach they are going to take in, in terms of in industry reading innovation for their recycle, recyclable materials, even ma ma uh, batteries, magnets, and even Sakura boards. So this is amazing, actually. There is so many amazing uh, articles out of there, which is showing how the involvement of different stakeholders in this journey will be exciting very soon, and hopefully the issue of e-waste will be resolved no later than 2030, as SDGs is aiming for. Well, thanks so much, Jacqueline. And don't worry, Apple will not give any money to this uh, show, so you're free to quote them, <laughs> to mention them, because I, I'm not I'm not sponsored at all. And if I was sponsored by Apple, I guess it will drain a bit less money on my personal uh, resources to <laughs> to run this show. So <laughs> feel free to mention everyone you want. You've already mentioned Samsung and Dell, so that's that's perfectly fine. Well. Thanks a lot, both of you, because I've learned a lot of things. Uh, that was an episode I really wanted to offer to the audience because we talk that much about e-waste, but it's such on a superficial level. And having two of you in the show, yeah, explaining the data, but also what it, what it meant concretely, the business impact, that was great. So once again, thanks a lot for joining and I know that many of us, we will have learned a lot of things listening to both of you. So thanks a lot again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gaia, for having us. Thank you. Thank you both. And thank you, Gaia, for the invitation and for the opportunity to talk about this important topic. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Green.io. Make sure to subscribe to the mailing list to stay up to date on new episodes. If you enjoyed this one, feel free to share it on social media or with any friends or colleagues who could benefit from it. As a non-profit podcast, we rely on you to spread the word. Last but not the least, if you know someone who would make a great guest, please send them my way so that we can make our digital world greener one bite at a time.